Welcome into Triple Zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buck. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, the website, clockersports.com, and the email address is clockersports at gmail.com. Man, getting right into it. The bubble playoffs are going down, fam. We are in the second round and things are well underway. And you are seeing a lot of action right now. I think it's I think it's been uh, a pleasant surprise more than anything, but I think what we're seeing is a lot of uh again, I think I, I talked about this a couple of episodes ago actually. Um, they're the level, the gap between these teams isn't as far as we typically think it is. And a lot of it might be due to home crowd. And I think I may have at least personally been, uh, guilty of underestimating how important home court advantage is to a lot of these teams. You see a lot of the major swings, uh, back and forth in the action. But what you really don't see is once a team gets there to that point, being able to overcome that. I think that's one of the prevailing thoughts. I know we talked about, how you see, I mean, just wild comebacks and 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 point swings and stuff like that. Um, there's been hellified lead changes and all that kind of stuff, but you still don't see once the team gets there that necessarily ability to hold on to that momentum and keep going because the crowd's not there to either pump them up or they haven't necessarily taken the momentum out of the the, the energy rather out of the arena. So uh, that's been something I think that's been interesting to me. Um, not so interesting to me is my boy Russell Westbrook down here struggling uh, in the in the playoffs, the bubble playoffs. He's averaging 15, 8, and 4, uh, 8 boards, 4 assists, uh, shooting 39% from the floor, 16% from 3, 46% from the free throw line. That's horrible. Now, I know a lot of people want to jump on him and say that he's bad and, and uh, he hasn't been great and this is what he does and he's just OC and he turns the ball over. His turnovers aren't up. He hasn't done any more. It's 4.5 throughout the playoffs. Um, that's about average for what he's having uh, the past couple of years, actually. But that 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 floor number, all the his slash line is terrible. Now remember, he missed a handful of games, the last two games of the regular bubble season and the first four of the playoffs against the Oklahoma City Thunder because he had a, a quad injury. And there's some concern maybe he would come back a little bit too soon. Uh, he definitely seems to not be exploding to the rim with the mu- as much frequency, and when he does, it's not the burst that you are tip- are used are used to seeing out of him. So that is a concern. Uh, he was averaging twenty four six and seven before going down with that injury. By the way, uh, that's per- uh, post restart, and so it's a concern. He was forty three percent, thirty three percent from three, sixty one percent from the floor or from the free throw line. That's still not great, but that's much better than what he's doing right now. And then you look at his season numbers for those who are talking about, this is what he's always been 27, seven and seven while shooting uh, like a career best 47% from the floor, 25% from three, but he's not, he's taking like a career low in three. So he's not really even shooting them. And then 76%, which isn't great from the free throw line, but it is a very big improvement of what he, what he had been doing. So um, they lost, this past game to the Lakers, and they now find themselves uh, in that hole or tied up 1-1. It's, it, it's not a surprise that the Lakers won. James Harden was talking a little crazy. Afterwards, talking about if you don't have any heart, don't matter what the size is, if you don't have any dogs, and this, that, third. I knew they were going to lose right then and there. I should have put the money down right on on that moment. Um, I don't know what made them say no crazy stuff like that. And it wasn't even wild, but you just don't need to give anybody any bullets more tear. Point being, um, the Rockets are going to need Westbrook in order to get past the Lakers and they needed him to get out of whatever funk it is that he's in. And I think the last game we saw him shoot a few more threes than anybody would have preferred. And he still wasn't hitting them. And if he's hurt, then he needs to sit down until he gets all the way healthy because what we saw on the floor against the Lakers this past game was when it was Harden surrounded by the five shooters, uh, Covington, PJ Tucker, 
um, who else? Uh, Eric Gordon and, and Daniel House. You saw the spacing that it allowed for Hart to drive to the lane and the shooting, obviously, off of that. So I don't know I, if, if Russ is not healthy, he doesn't possess that ability, that counterpunch that I think made him so valuable in all of this. And so that's one to me that I think they need to be reevaluating. If he's look, check him out because if he's not, if he's not right, he's doing more harm than he is good to anybody out there on the floor, especially to this Rockets team that des- desperately needs him to be on his game because the Lakers, uh, despite themselves looking uneven, and we'll talk about that in a second, they are still a, a loaded team and they can't afford to uh, to keep slacking off like this. So look out for that again. They and they the, this is not just a, Rust- a Westbrook issue for the Rockets. They allow the Lakers to shoot fifty like something percent from the floor. That's not good. You can't have that happen either. So it wasn't just on him, but he is definitely not contributing. And I think, honestly, as even though that's not just on him, I think a lot of that goes with how he goes. When he's playing bad, they seem to all be playing bad because he is the hammer to everybody else's kind of laid back, smooth kind of game that they play. Um, while they're getting physical with the Lakers, they are, I think, a, a, a more finesse type of team. A more, it's not, you know, it's not the the beat up style, uh, the, the the bruising style of basketball. I guess the down low. A uh, gritty game that you necessarily think of when you think of that. So um, that that to me is why you see them struggling to, to contain. But the defense was on. Uh, they they played they played a solid game. They made a comeback. They were down twenty plus. Was it was it twenty plus in that game? They were down. They they made they made the comeback, and that's what what I'm talking about. With that momentum. They were down twenty plus points, and you could just feel the energy be taken out of them. They couldn't they couldn't muster enough once they got back and got that lead. It was they got a slight lead in the third quarter. Lakers came back and, and took it over. It was pretty much a wrap from then on. Um Rondo, they had the the lineup out there. There was the highest scoring unit in the playoffs in like two thousand sample size, two thousand lineup sample size. This is not a fluke. And if the the Rockets are gonna do anything serious they're going to have to be on, on top of their game, and that's going to start with Russ. You heard Harden come out and say it earlier uh, in the postseason that Russ is their leader. I don't think that was lip service. I think that was him telling you, you know, so, as he goes, so we go. And I th- that makes sense when you think about the fact that, you know, you have Harden, a guy who we've talked about, uh, fades away when he gets to the postseason. I don't know if it's necessarily fading away because he's shining from the moment as much as it is. He's just fading away because he's damn near. He's tired. You know, he's gas. So whatever. I, I, that's not That's not groundbreaking analysis that's just <laughs> restating something i think we all already know um but what's interesting about it is that they allow him to keep trying and that to me is is a d'antoni flaw you got to tell him look the the shots aren't making the lakers are daring you to shoot put your head down and get to the line now i know his free throw numbers aren't great but you're getting everybody else in foul trouble and i think that's important uh that's that's very important too so that's one of the things that was really concerning to me watching him play and watching the Rockets play a team that I, I, I've written off numerous times, but seeing them against the Lakers and how they played in game one, they definitely have what they have the ability to uh, knock off the Lakers, but I don't necessarily know if they have the consistency. They're a jump shooting team. I've made my feelings about jump shooting teams very clear. Um, they go through the slumps at the worst possible times and it ultimately costs them. That's why you don't see them, uh, doing big things other than, of course, the Golden State Warriors. And we saw how that, uh, we saw what kind of dynasty that was. I guess when you figure it out, you figure it out, but I don't see enough of them figuring it out 
to necessarily call it other than it's just a fluke, right? I don't, I don't think that's enough of a return on your investment to build around jump shots. That's why I think about Damon CJ out there in Portland. I just don't think that it's um, necessarily a good call. So it's not trying to be controversial. It's just a consistent answer to, to that issue. Now, the other side of this is Denver. Again, I said we talk about the Lakers and the LA teams as a whole in a second. Denver is a team that lost uh, Monday night Labor Day against the Los Angeles Clippers. And that one is an interesting game because the, the, the Nuggets on paper should have enough, right? I don't necessarily know if they have as or more than the the Clippers. I want to say they're deeper, but they definitely don't. They definitely have enough to hang with them. And what you see a lot of, even the game that the the Clippers lost, what you see is that they just don't have enough of it. And I go back on this one to a point that I made about the jazz and the nuggets in in that series is that both of these teams are really good. They're they're really good for the regular season because they're deep and you could rotate guys in and out and you can not miss too much of a beat when you lose somebody for an extended period of time. But when you get to the playoffs and the best of seven and the team with the best player usually wins, those teams rarely have that guy past the first round. And I think you're seeing that. Um, The Clippers played horrible in game two, right? The Nuggets were hitting everything. It's like 70% from the floor. They were, they were, I'm talking about they shut the lights out the gym. Clippers couldn't hit the broad side of the barn. And they only lost by like 10 points. It was a close game even then. So I think that's one of those things that like, okay, even in, in the, the best of performances from the Nuggets, the Clippers were still able to maintain because they have that superstar player, that Kawhi Leonard, you know, Paul George, Kawhi didn't play. Kawhi had a horrible game. PG had a solid game. PG's has been playing good for the past few games. Got to give him some credit there because I was I joined him in the clownery because uh, my man had seemed like he was on the verge of fading, but he came. But he's come back strong since. Props to him for that. Um, what the Nuggets fell one hundred seven to one thirteen to the Clippers, and Jamal Murray struggled. And so I've been going back and forth with this about this team. I talked about just now how they, you know, they, they don't have the best player on the floor. But who's even the best player on this team, right? That kind of power struggle, I wonder if it, if it is ultimately a detriment because things end up going on. Like there was Murray. Murray was shooting, and I know they need him to get going. So I guess it's not a bad thing ever when he keeps trying to shoot himself out of shoot himself out of a slump. But Jokic was shooting fifty percent from the floor, thirty seven percent from three. Murray, 29% from the floor, 5 of 17, 28% from 3, 2 of 7, 14 points. I, I just feel like you could give somebody else uh, some more shots in that situation, become more of a distributor. Now, he had 9 assists. It's not like Murray was, was being selfish at all. But this is the type of stuff that I talk about when I, when I, this is the type of stuff that I mean when I talk about they lack that superstar. Who is the go to, right? All those stats uh, Jokic got, and it didn't matter down the stretch because he was having to deal with Ivica Zubats, who I don't necessarily think is particularly good. Murray has to be on, right, for this to be a, a serious. Kind of like what I was talking about with Russell Westbrook. You need you need this guy to make it all work. You can have the stats from the other dude. That's fine. And the other dude's probably the better player on the team, but this dude has to be the, the, the straw that stirs the drink. And when it's not working for him, 
and you see him pressing, it's real often a bad time for the Denver Nuggets. Michael Porter Jr., though, not, uh, another 18 points, 10 boards, as he was 8 of 17 from the floor. Two, six, and three, but still. A man's out here hooping. Doesn't play no defense, but hey, you know, when you're scoring like he does, who needs to play defense? Nobody. Nobody. Now, talking about these L.A. teams and how uneven they've been, uh, we've seen them split games apiece, each of them now 1-1. Uh, no, well, Lakers. The Clippers now go up two one on the Denver Nuggets. Excuse me. Lakers are uh, sitting there at one one with the Houston Rockets, and you just wonder when are these teams gonna gonna make it click, right? Um, we talked about it throughout the the Maverick series with the Clippers and how vulnerable they've looked to good teams. Another good team. They get team in the Clippers in the Mavericks who is a piece away. They don't even need another superstar. They need another star level player, another B roll player. Um, but they were challenging for the Clippers, and that perimeter defense has been uh, very sketchy. It's kind of tightened up since, but it was very sketchy in round one. Um, for the Lakers, we talked about how they let Portland get to them. Now they ended up ultimately routing Portland. That wasn't an issue here, but you see the problems with they have with Houston and of course it's still a jump shooting team, but you see how there are breakdowns and how they get frustrated easier than they should for a team full of veterans, how there are moments when they look very disheveled on offense, very disjointed. Now Rondo coming back should help that a lot. And I just talked about that, that huge boost that he, uh, that, that lineup boost that he gave, um, or they had the highest scoring lineup in, in playoff history or something along those lines. And so, it's not necessarily a thought of LA they they are they're bad or that they're vulnerable for LA for the Lakers rather it's that they don't seem locked in all the time they don't seem to necessarily want it all the time and I, that's a that's going to be an issue now i will say while the Lakers seem like they aren't always locked in and the Clippers seem like they just don't have it sometimes or like they're just not built right they are going up against lesser teams and that that I guess allows for this, but without the luxury of those added games leading up and the, the momentum and the crowd, can you afford to not be playing at your best at any, at all times? I don't think so. I think that's going to ultimately cost them. And I, I would hate to see what happens if one of those teams were to not make it uh, to the, to the Western conference finals because they weren't playing to the best of their ability. Something that I think we've seen far too often so far down in Orlando. Uh, moving over to the Eastern Conference, Giannis went down with an ankle injury. He went back down, I guess. He re-aggravated his ankle injury. Um, and early on in the game against Miami Heat, elimination game, they were 3-0. And he had 18 points in 12 minutes. And all that happened from that point on was the Miami Heat collapsing upon themselves because they decided to take their foot up off the gas. And I talked about this. I thought about this, rather, because I didn't, I didn't speak with uh, – didn't speak with you before last game, but what do we really know about Miami? And I'll take care of two words with two birds with one stone here. Um, first of all, Giannis's injury might prove to be the saving grace that Milwaukee needed because there was growing concern, especially again, myself included, that after this season, Giannis will look for his first opportunity to bounce because there just wasn't going to be enough around him. Now, there still might not be enough around him, but I think there is enough of a foundation around him now that uh, you'll see 
him stay around. You got 36 points out of Chris Middleton, um, eight rebounds. He shot 42% from the floor. He was 99 from the free throw line. Four, I'm sorry, 42% from the floor, 42% from three. Damn, he was identical from both. That's nasty. Um, and I think you that what we were questioning, we've been wondering, at least I had been wondering. Let me not say we. I had been wondering, and I know I'm not alone, but I don't know. I don't want to say it's the majority of people about Chris Middleton and how necess- how much he actually could uh, factor in to the future, right? Like, it's already seemingly obvious that they made a mistake paying Eric Bledsoe instead of making sure they could retain Malcolm Brogdon. I think that was pretty much a foregone, foregone conclusion. And not necessarily that because Bledsoe can't play, that's another conversation, but because of what Brogdon could bring to this team as a secondary and even tertiary creator and shot maker. Um, somebody can get his own and set up others on the on the floor when uh, Giannis has to take a seat or is injured, as we see now. Um, and yeah, before I mean he hasn't been playing bad, so I should stop talking about him like he's been horrible. But it's been fourth quarter disappearances. That's been the issue. Anyway, getting sidetracked. <laughs> um, Middleton going off for twenty one points uh, from the third quarter in the third quarter was ginormous because Giannis was already gone. He went out in the second quarter. Or early on, what was it, first quarter that he went out? When did he go out? Let me check this here. Make sure I got this this completely right. Point being, Middleton uh, showed that he could carry the team in Giannis' absence, and that's something that I think is going to be very important to try to keep him. Yeah, he went out in the second quarter. Um, trying to retain him as we get into the year where we're all watching to see what happens. Now, again, they can return, retain him, but I think what they guarantee themselves is he won't necessarily demand a trade this offseason. Right? You won't see that. Um, I think that on top of that, you built, you you extended the leash on seeing how far you guys can take this um, next season. Like you don't have to do as well as you would have if you had bombed it this year to retain. If you refuse to trade him next season or in this offseason, you know, by the trade deadline, whatever, which they probably would have. So it's it's horrible. You never see, want to see anybody go down. He probably won't be playing uh, game five. But long term, this could be beneficial to Milwaukee. In, in the sense that it keeps him around because he got to see that the, his Robin could play like a Robin or could could uh, feature as a Batman, you know, could cameo as a Batman every now and again, uh, if need be. Now, still think they need another person, but that person doesn't have to be better than Chris Middleton. If this per- if they could figure out now how to get him and Middleton to work together, that'd be great because the team, the team was kind of ho-hum without, with Giannis on the floor when they were... When he went down, they started humming. So, again, 21 points in the third quarter from Chris Middleton. That's pretty big stuff, man. Uh, that might have just saved Milwaukee's future right there with that maneuver. Something to, something to keep in, in the back of your head when we start those discussions start uh, heating up as the year progresses next season and we get closer to the trade deadline, offseason this year, and all that kind of good stuff. The offseason this year is going to be truncated. I don't think it's going to be much happening because uh, everybody's broke, <laughs> quite basically. Now, the uh, other one part of this I want to talk about is the heat. And like I said, flaming out and how how consistent can they be? They are a team, like I said, of, of workmen, blue uh, blue collar, lunch pail, hard hat type guys who go in there and they're going to outwork you for most of the game. They got some shooters. You got Hero and you got Duncan Robinson. Uh, Kelly Olenek can, can put the ball in the, in the hoop. Jimmy, you know what Jimmy does. Goran Dragic. You have players. But they're still not a finesse type of team. They're an outwork you type of team. And I think when they they get caught up in trying to do either one too much 
or at least when they try to get become the shooting team too much is when you see them 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 kind of falter. Um, when they saw Giannis go down, they let their foot off the gas and became a jump shooting finesse type of team. And you kind of saw Milwaukee respond with a, a the the ferocity being back into a corner. Miami didn't do that, and they can't afford to not do that. They're not that talented, right? I don't, I don't necessarily think Miami's a great, uh, or uh, um, excuse me, I don't think they're a good team individually, but together they're great. I think Jimmy's really good. Jimmy's a really good player, borderline superstar. I don't know about superstar. But he's definitely right there. If he's not a superstar, he's the like in the next batch of guys coming in. But nobody else on that team is is even close to a star player. And here they are doing this to a one seed. Now they can't let up though, because the one seed is still as talented as them minus the superstar. I don't necessarily know if Milton has the demeanor of Butler, but I think he's as skilled as Butler. He doesn't have the, the, the mentality of Jimmy Butler, typically. But we saw him he we saw him go out there and do it uh in this game. So we'll see what happens game five. Can uh Miami finally put them out of their misery or is this going to be uh, a series that drags out longer than it should and can Milwaukee make the the ultimate uh comeback here because Giannis I don't think he's coming back there's no way he comes back next game maybe he comes back in game six but he's not I I, I don't even see why you would want to put him out there um for game five so if if I was the Milwaukee Bucks you got to think long term you got to think, okay, at worst, we're going to have to see if, you know, we need to do something else with this roster. Let him rest, get him healthy, see what you're going to have to retool. It's probably going to have to be a point guard, try to find somebody who can make some shots. Uh, Bledsoe played well. It's just not a good compliment to with Giannis on the floor. He needs to be in the paint too. And obviously, you're not going to get that uh, with Giannis being um, out there on the floor. So, that's something that I think to keep an eye on uh, going forward too. Another situation there with what the Bucks decide to ultimately do with their roster because I don't think it's settled. I don't think that they can leave it the way that it is. If they do, they're going to be uh, a very quick out in the playoffs. Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors. These are two teams that I think are very similarly built, very similarly matched or evenly matched. And what we're seeing is that the Celtics are a much better version. Um, they're both tough, greedy teams. Do it by committee. They're very much like the Nuggets and the Jazz in that way, but a, a higher level of skill, I think. Um, and you're seeing the the Celtics just pounce on the Raptors. The Raptors got two games after hitting that first that that big shot um, over OG. Or oh, I'm sorry, the Lowry passed the ball over Taco Fall. OG hits the shot. Uh, over Jalen Brown, and then you got the next game where Boston just looked disheveled again. But this one, Boston came out and jumped out. They got a 30-point lead in this game. Um, they were all over Toronto, and I think this is what we're going to see going forward. Like I said, they're pretty similarly built, but the Boston Celtics version is just a better version. Um, you see P- Pascal Siakam not be great but his team needs him to be and i think again we rushed i talked about this last episode we talked we kind of rushed to to thrust him into the superstar status he's not quite there yet. he's still a good player but he definitely needs someone else there the raptors need another piece there and i think you're seeing the difference Kawhi made 
Um, they had that regular season record, and that that they're without Kawhi, they are a Denver Nuggets, uh, Utah Jazz type of team. And I don't think that's a, a negative. Like that's not a, a, a pejorative necessarily. It's just that's what they are. Good regular season team that might not be uh, as playoff built as we thought. Now it's still anyone series, but Boston probably. Is, and I picked Toronto, but Boston has looked better, even in the the, the wins. Uh, for Toronto, I think Boston has looked like a better team out of the two. Now, we'll have to see. Uh, this is all due, mostly due because of the, the first quarter, 25-11, uh, first quarter in favor of Boston. Because uh, Toronto actually won the second half. They outscored them 49-54 uh, to 54, uh, in favor of Toronto. But the damage was already done. 37-24 in the, first, in the second quarter as well for Boston, in favor of Boston. This was, this was a game, again, two evenly built or, or similarly built teams, evenly matched. But the more talented one ultimately just outshined the other. Jason Tatum is the best player out of either of these two teams, and it shows time in and time out. Uh, in this game, he had 18 points, 10 rebounds. He hasn't been necessarily lighting them up scoring-wise, but he's been doing a little bit of everything, and that's where you've seen his value. You've gotten 27 points from uh, Jalen Brown this game, 6, and you've got Kimba Walker, who's just been hitting big shots. He had 12, 12 points uh, and 6 assists, 21 points from uh Brad Wanamaker, see what's been into. I'm sorry, 20 points from Kimball Walker, 15 points from Brad Wanamaker. Marcus Smart had 12.7 rebounds and six assists. I apologize about that. Um, this one, they only had six guys score. Six guys. I'm sorry, seven guys score. That's an interesting maneuver because they usually are a deep team who spreads the ball around. And I mean, I guess a couple of guys took shots, but it just was. It's that's a that's a very small. Uh, distribution of the the wealth there of the the points and it came out to ultimately be in their favor because nobody on the Raptors could get above 18 and that was Fred Van Vliet who's found his stroke a little bit here still not hitting it from three consistently but he's definitely started scoring a little bit more Um, Norman Powell 16 points Norman Powell's a dude I I I've trashed Norman Powell a lot too he's been playing well though I have to admit he's played much better than I've given him credit for uh coming into the playoffs coming into this season really um but yeah these two teams again they're i i look at them very similarly and i, I find myself oftentimes um wanting to say that really they are the the uh the same kind of thing but obviously pairing them together you're seeing it be it looks like boston is the better version now this could easily go back to them being the right back even if Toronto comes out and jumps on Boston. That's the thing I think you see and why I think ultimately, even if they do reach the, the NBA Finals, neither one of them um, seems to be the uh, a true championship contender. And I've been saying that for a while, but it seems to be getting reinforced the longer that they spend down the bowl because you get to see a lot of the flaws. Like I said, with no crowd to pump anybody up or, or kind of uh, have the energy zapped out of the room, you kind of don't see any much. See any much? You kind of don't see the um, teams who do make the takeover or, or make the comeback ability to have the ability to sustain it. So um, I think that's that's something that you got to look out for. But it's definitely something that has been a, a topic that's at the forefront of my mind. And so I wonder about you know. Is this is this real from Boston, or is this just like we've seen them having a back and forth? What you what you would expect to see from evenly matched teams, honestly. 
Uh, and then last basketball piece of information, the Bulls rumors are heating up around Ime Udoka, the 76ers assistant head coach, um, rumored to be the front runner to replace Jim Boylan. We'll see. The chatter has been picking up down in Orlando. We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't really have any thoughts about it. Um, if he, is he bringing Joel Embiid? That'd be great. Can he bring Joel Embiid? Because that'd be great. Do it. If you do it, I'll, I'll go to Philly and pick you up my damn self. Um, just saying. So, you know. Thought that that I, I saw that and I, I I I have a hard time at this point getting excited about it. Um, they've dragged it out to that point. I think they do it on purpose, kind of to, to to kind of you know take away some of the emotion, the raw emotion out of that. But you definitely got left with a kind of a meh, you know, empathy towards or uh, I'm sorry, indifference towards it because you just don't. It's not buzzy right now. There's so much else going on that you just I have a hard time uh, getting jazzed up about a potential. Rumor that he might be the front runner to possibly get the job. That's that's a bit much. So, uh, switching gears over to the NFL, I have to say, my man Adrian Peterson, all day purple Jesus, AP returns home. This time uh, to burn, turns home to the NFC North. This time to play for the uh, Detroit Lions. He was recently released by the Washington Football Team as they focus on letting uh, some young guys get some development in that on that team, which is a good idea. Uh, Antonio Gibson for all the fantasy guys out there, uh, pick up Antonio Gibson, Adrian Peterson mentioned him by name uh, when talking about who they were looking at and what they were trying to do with his, his release and how it was amicable, amicable, but that their focus was on trying to develop guys and namely uh, one Antonio Gibson. So uh, AP lands, with Detroit Lions, a team that's been beset by injuries at the backfield position. They drafted Kerryon Johnson a few years ago. He was um, routinely nicked up coming in. He's been routinely nicked up in the NFL. They replaced him with DeAndre. Not replaced him, but they supplemented him with DeAndre Swift this uh, recent draft. He's out now with an injury. And um, so you have Adrian Peterson coming in there to take some of those carries, help some of the duty with Kerryon Johnson, and hopefully, uh, for their sake, be able to provide some kind of a ground game, even though that team's going to be passing the ball all over the yard anyway. That's just what they do. I don't. We're kind of splitting hairs or uh, beating a dead horse, yelling at the wall, whatever you want to call it, uh, hoping for a, a better running game out of the out of the Detroit Lions. You're going to get some passing, and you're going to like it. Now, nah. <laughs> the Tennessee Titans finally signed uh, Jadavion Clowney to a contract this offseason. Now, this was uh, one of the most Highly discussed free agents at this point in time. Still, first of all, the fact that he's still a free agent is incredible. Although when you look at his stats, they haven't been great. Um, his his best season was nine and a half sacks. That was in twenty seventeen. He's had nine and then three last year with Seattle. Um, the year before that was with Houston. But I think the thing about him that makes it interesting is that he joins a team that already had such a a deep pass rushing step. We had Harold Landry down there. They had that saga with um, Vic Beasley just this offseason as well, where they couldn't find him uh, for any type of time. And and he finally reported last week, late last week. Um, and then this year they, they wind up with Javion Clowney, who the story is that the Ravens and the Saints were trying to get him uh, in a sign-in trade. And with a whole lot of confusion here where the Browns would have got him and they would have traded him to Jacksonville or to the Ravens. Or I'm sorry, to the uh, to the Saints 
or Jacksonville would have got him and they would have traded him to the Ravens. And you see all these things going on. And so much so that the Saints were willing to trade a draft pick for him to free up the cap space, a number two pick, a second round pick for the requisite cap space to free up to go and, and get him. And why that's important, I'll tell you in a second. Um, but it's very interesting that they went through all of this to to try and get him. Uh, but he ends up going to the Titans uh, on a one-year deal, reunites with his former defensive coordinator and Mike Vrabel. Um, the deal's worth up to $15 million. And again, this just gives them a really, really juiced front seven with Jadavian Clown and Harold Landry, uh, Vic Beasley out there, and and Kyle Correa, um, not a, a, a very talked about name, but a guy who contributes and now as a fourth guy uh, in your pass rushing bunch. That's pretty. That's pretty, pretty serious stuff down there. So you know, quarterbacks beware. And trust me, up here in the NFC North, it's it's a, a serious issue too. The pass rushing duos are getting out of hand. I'm, I think that's going to be an article I write either for Clocker or for Last Word. Um, but that's coming out soon. But climbing to the Titans, man, back to the AFC South where he began his career. Now with reunited with his former defensive coordinator and playing for what's going to be a ferocious pass rush between he Beasley Landry and Correa, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And again, he there was rumors, uh, like I said, of him going to um, the Seahawks again. And oh, the commissioner came out and said the NFL came out and said that uh, it would have been the Ravens, not the Seahawks, not the Saints. Excuse me, who would have gotten him for whatever reason and I'm not sure if it has anything to do with the uh with the the cast that they were trying to create the method they were trying to go about doing it or whatever the hell it is but that's that's what happens um yeah it, it's it's one it's an eerie one it's an eerie one it's it's a very interesting thing to to see uh to hear this story about these two these teams working out this deal for a guy who again has had some showing you some things that he can do. We're really going off of him off that play in college where he blew the running back from Michigan up in the backfield. Um, so I, whatever, you know, a lot, much to do, but the Titans, they seem to be having the cornering of the market, except for uh, Yannick Ngakwe of uh, disgruntled pass rushes or, or, or pass rushes with several complicating issues to report for some reason. That's, that's a long winded answer of saying some guys with issues, I guess. Um, Houston Texas quarterback Deshaun Watson signed to an extension with the uh, Houston Texans. Four years, $177 million with nearly $111 million guaranteed. He's only trailing Patrick Mahomes' 12-year deal with the Kansas City Chiefs as the largest in history. Uh, he's going to make $39 million per year based on average over the next four years, making him the highest paid player in the NFL during that time frame. Dude got paid and is only going to be uh, second to Patrick Mahomes, which makes perfect sense because, um, you know, one of these guys won a Super Bowl and an MVP, and another dude, while he's had the, uh, while he's had the flashes of greatness, he hasn't quite put it all together, and that's due to injuries on both his part and uh, those around him. And they traded his favorite weapon, so we'll see how that works out this year. But he got his money, and um, we'll talk about why that's interesting because um, Mahomes just told you got the twelve-year deal. Uh, Watson now gets this deal. Um, yeah, Watson's 38 regular season games. He's completed, 
uh, 66.8% of his passes in three seasons for 9,700 yards, 71 touchdowns, and 29 picks. Uh, one of just 11 players to throw for 70 or more touchdowns in his first three seasons, according to ESPN Stats and Info. Um, they traded up to number 12 to get him. They went up and got their guy. Uh, the Chiefs went up and got their guy in Patrick Mahomes. The Bears went up and got their guy and ended up picking the wrong guy out of the three. Um, he is also the only one of the three who didn't get an extension. Not only that, but they didn't even pick up his fifth-year option. Um, not only that, but they brought in uh, a Super Bowl MVP quarterback to compete with him in the offseason. Not only that, they gave up draft capital and a lot of cap space to do so. Not only that, they had a public battle about it. Not only that, they didn't announce it until this week. Not only that, they weren't going to do that until the press asked them and, and the league kind of made them uh, announce who it was going to be. So now you're here in a situation where the Bears are just faced. Every time these two get mentioned, Mahomes and Watson, even some of the guys after them before them, it's kind of weird. Um, but every time they get mentioned, Trubisky gets mentioned, and he's going to start against the, the Lions, the Bears announced. And I'll, I'll probably have a breakdown of, of reaction to the Bears starting five or the final roster uh, for last word coming out this week sometime. He's going to start, and he's going to do well against the Lions because he does well against the Lions. He's played well against the Lions. But – Foles has as well. It wouldn't have mattered who it was. They're going to do well. So that's not what you're going to look for. You're going to get about two to three good games. I think by game three, you're going to start seeing some cracks in the in the Trubisky facade. By week four and five, I think we're looking at full-blown Foles territory. If not, week six for sure. Um, I'm not optimistic about this season. I want to be. I'm trying to be. But the whole way this went about just feels dirty, and I don't think it's going to end up well. I think the defense is going to F up them getting any type of good draft positioning. They're going to end up in the middle. Bleacher Report has a mock draft up right now uh, in which they end up with an offensive tackle, I believe, but they missed the run on quarterbacks. That happens early in the draft um, because they don't know how to manage the roster properly and because they can't draft in the first round. That's a problem, and I think it's going to come back to haunt them, and I think it's going to be something that they are ultimately regretting. We'll see how it plays out, though. Last thing I want to talk about, Sap, Cap, Sap, Cap, Hell Approaches. Dove Kleiman uh, tweeted out that the Saints will be $71 million in the hole come 2021. We talked about this uh, with these massive extensions. Actually, friend of the show, um, Brad Spielberger of Spotrack, has kind of talked about this uh, more than anything that uh, I'm sorry of over the cap Spotrack. Brad of over Brad Spielberg of over the cap. I knew that sounded wrong when it came out. Um, has talked about this where you can't really look at it now for you know who's going to be the the issue with money. You got to wait for a couple of years. In 2021, the Saints will be um, 71 million dollars over the salary cap. That's going to be a problem because, uh, as we all know, you have to have some money to spend some money. And, uh, you know, $71 million in the hole doesn't look good. Now, they are going all in for this year. That's why they try to trade the draft pick to go and get um, to go and get Jadavion Clowney. But if they don't get it this year, it's going to be probably blowing up. You're going to see some piecing out of that stuff. Now, Jameis Winston will probably have a good situation regardless. Um, but this is a, it's a good setup either way. Um, in front of him, you got Breeze still, but you got the best second receiver they've had in quite some time in uh, Emmanuel Sanders. So that's something that I think could work in their favor. Uh, but yeah, man, 2021 is not looking good for the uh, New Orleans Saints. I think that's that's 
an interesting look. And the Eagles are up there too. Their Eagles aren't nearly as bad. Um, you know, it's not going to have any cap space. They won't be in the negative, but they won't have any cap space. The Bears, the Bears. It's not going to be good for the Bears. They 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 have done quite some some damage to their long term cap sheet uh, for the next year or so. And I think they've hurt, like I said, the draft position by getting the defense to be as good as they are, not embracing any type of maneuver. They're going to be stuck in that in that sports hell, that place that you don't want to be in where you're middling, you're just treading water. Worst place to sports to be in, you're either complete competing or you're blowing it up. And I don't think that they're doing either right now. So get ready for another year of 7-9, something along those lines, 6-10 and 10 even. Um, not not promising. Definitely not promising. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh E. Buck. Hit the Facebook page, Clocker Sports. Website, ClockerSports.com. The email address, ClockerSports at gmail.com. And, of course, uh, read the stuff, Last Run Pro Football, PipAinEasy.com, and betting, American Betting Experts. Um, until the very next time, man, you already know what it is. I'm on Jim.